BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. The list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasaba, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news newspaper since 1971. Bonus time on the Ben Jarofsky Show. As I speak, it is Friday, October 27th, 2023. I'm paying and pl- playing and paying again, ladies and gentlemen. I can't even say it. I already did one recording today, uh, this morning, as I was uh, explaining on the earlier uh, show. Uh, I went to uh, the dentist and they yanked out my tooth. Uh, and it's they're a little more sophisticated than in the old days where they tie a string uh, to your tooth and tie it to the door and shut the door. But it didn't feel like that much more. And then right in the middle, if I could really share this with you guys, I probably shouldn't share this moment with you. But I just want to tell you this. I had to go to the bathroom so bad. Oh, my God. I'm middle. They're like yanking and pulling and. <laughs> and the, the the dentist, she was nice, but, you know, she was a little impatient, sir. Anyway, um, I'm feeling a lot better, uh, ladies and gentlemen, really ra- raring to go with this uh, conversation. Uh, I have this article in front of me from the Sun-Times. I always start off with a little item in the news. Uh, probably has nothing to do with anything we're going to talk about, but it's been sitting on my desk forever. And I want to give a shout out to Rich Miller, Capital Facts. He writes, uh, I think it's a weekly column. My distinguished guest would know if it's a weekly or biweekly, whatever. Uh, he's regularly featured in the Sunday section of the Chicago Sun-Times. Really good insights on what's going on in the state of Illinois. Uh, Rich Miller from Capital Facts. Uh, and this one is Pritzker draws ire from unions with flip-flop on invest in kids scholarship. A pretty straightforward headline from the bright one uh, that absolutely sums up uh, J.B. Pritzker, Governor Pritzker's flip-flopping on this issue. Uh, where he was for it, that he was against it, that he was for it. I, I may have it wrong. I may have the order wrong. I apologize, Governor Pritzker, if I have the order wrong of the flip-flops. I can't remember if you started in favor, everything went against, or you started against and went in favor. Uh, but Rich Miller did a really good job of piecing together all the flip-flops. And the basic issue here is this, ladies and gentlemen, okay? So there are scholarships uh, that uh, kids can get to go to private schools. It's a form of a voucher program. And those scholarships are provided by contributions that wealthy people make uh, to a scholarship fund, and they get a tax credit for it. Now, I got no problem people going to private school. I'm not saying that. I'm not hating on private schools, okay? 
don't come back and say I'm hating on private schools. All right. And I have no problem whatsoever. Absolutely no problem whatsoever if some rich guy wants to donate money to a kid's scholarship. In fact, I say thank you, rich people, from the bottom of my heart for being so caring about kids. But you know what, rich people? I don't think you care about kids so much. I think you're just cheap. You don't want to pay taxes. I think you're in it for the tax credit. And that's the issue. That's the flip-flop at Pritzker's. Pritzker's not saying, oh, I'm against private schools. Pritzker's not saying, oh, I'm against rich guys giving them scholarship funds. Oh, no. <laughs> he was for allowing rich people to get a 75 cent on a dollar credit for contributions they make to the scholarship fund. So for my distinguished guest, if she wanted to kick in 10 grand uh, for a scholarship fund so some kid could go to private school, the state would send her $7,500. I'm like, what? That, what? You want to be nice? You want to be generous? Just do it. Don't do it because you're getting money back. That's not nice. That's generous. That's like kind of scammy if you want to know the truth. I'm saying to all the rich people who listen to this show, and I know there's just thousands of them that listen to this show, for my stock tips. <laughs> I give stock tips, ladies and gentlemen. Rich people uh, invest in Apple. It's a good bargain. Um, for all the rich people who listen to my show, here's what I say. Just call J.B. Pritzker right now. Get on the horn and go, J.B., nah, let's kill this scholarship tax credit thing. I'm just going to give the money to the scholarship fund out of the goodness of my heart. I got about a billion dollars. I could definitely afford it. You know, I don't need the tax credit. <laughs> It's just going to deprive the tax coffers of money that it needs for, like, public schools. And, you know, like, when kids struggle at a private school, I'm going to break something down to you, ladies and gentlemen. When kids struggle at a private school and they're asked to leave, as been known to happen, all right, been known to happen because private schools have their own rules. And if they don't want you there, they could tell you to leave or ask you to leave. I guess that's the uh, euphemistic way to say it. Guess where they go? They go to the public schools and the public schools are having less money because rich guys get to deduct 75 cents on the dollar. So come on, J.B. Pritzker. I know public opinions polls say that this is a popular program, but I don't know. I think you should take a stand on this one. Stick with the unions. And I don't know which part of the flip flop, but go with whatever part of the flip flop where you were against the program. All right. A little bit of recommendation for me to J.B. Pritzker. And one more time to all the rich people of the state of Illinois, call J.B. Pritzker and say, Governor Pritzker, we don't want the tax credit. We just want to give the money because we think it's the right thing to do to give a kid the chance. And so just save the tax credit, you know, <laughs> save the tax credit for somebody else who really needs it. All right. Uh, thank you, Rich Miller. This article has been sitting at my desk, as I said, for about a week finally got to, uh, to talk about it. All right, without further ado, I'm going to ask my distinguished guest to introduce herself, and away we will go. Distinguished guest, take it away. I'm Ramana Hussein, and I'm a member of the editorial board and a columnist at the Chicago Sun-Times, and wanted to tell you, Ben, that Rich Miller writes for us once a week. We're actually just waiting for his latest column, so we can put that in the paper um, for Sunday, and so I think that's the last thing that we have to do as an editorial board. So we're just waiting that. Just so you know, oh. it's once a week. Once a week. Okay. All right. So, Rich, you heard that? Hurry up. God dang, they're waiting. They want to go out to dinner tonight, okay? But they're waiting around for your column. <laughs> just, just trying to urge them, I'll prompt them a little bit. Um, all right. 
uh, Romana. So let's do a start with a sometimes editorial. I'm going to get something off my chest uh, and then love to hear your riff in response. Um, so the sometimes done a couple editorials, one of which you wrote, uh, and another, I don't know who wrote the other one about, uh, the quote unquote, uh, migrant crisis in the city of Chicago. We'll get to other things too. We, before I, cause I talk about the migrant crisis a lot in the show. Uh, but I want to start with this. So I personally don't think it's a crisis. I think it's an opportunity. I think Chicago should be welcoming uh, the Venezuelan uh, immigrants who are coming to our city. We've lost a lot of, lot of people. Uh, I think that the city of Chicago, the state of Illinois, and the federal government should rally together uh, to support uh, building uh, housing for the new uh, immigrants and uh, putting Chicagoans to work to build that housing, specifically black Chicagoans who have been overlooked the most year after year after year. And, and we should spend uh, federal dollars to do this because this is an issue that faces the entire country. And I am so disappointed in my fellow Chicagoan, well, the leaders of Chicago, I can't say my fellow Chicago leaders because I'm not a Chicago leader, but very disappointed that none of them, the political forces in this city, the civic forces in this city, and the philanthropic forces of the city have not gotten together as one team like they did when, um, who was it? Uh, Amazon was coming to town. Oh, my God. Amazon was going to come to town. They all came together, Ramana. Oh, we're all in this together. Let's give money to Jeff Bezos so he can put his little headquarters here. Nobody ever talked about that as a crisis. How many? Same thousands of people. Thousands of yuppies coming to Chicago. That wasn't a crisis. But Venezuelan guy, that's a crisis. Uh, so really disappointed that Chicagoans, uh, the, the leaders of the city are just like hiding or I don't know where they are in a fetal position somewhere and not uh, taking this on directly. But I'm like so disappointed with Chicago residents who are acting like a bunch of MAGA people with their little meetings and their rallies and screaming, not in my neighborhood, build a wall. And they had one at Brighton Park last week. It was Spanish-speaking people. It was... <laughs> God damn. I see, it's been like every neighborhood now. Like every ethnic group in Chicago has voiced opposition to the Venezuelans. You guys are all a bunch of freaking haters who've been gaslit and brainwashed by MAGA into thinking that somehow or other Venezuelans are a threat to you. So that is my general view of this. Uh, Ramana, I have now exhausted myself in this. I'm going to turn things over to you and I would love to hear your riff on this topic, both the leaders of Chicago and I think their colossal failure uh, and then the citizens of Chicago, at least the loudest ones, and their hate-filled invectives go. Well, I think, I mean, for me, the most jarring thing has been, I mean, there could be people, you know, raising questions about like housing and what type of housing should be provided. I mean, some of the concerns I understand, um, you know, some community organizations, like, you know, especially people in the black community, I understand that frustration where, you know, they feel like they've been neglected all these years. So some of those questions and concerns, I totally understand. I totally understand. But what I don't understand is when people are throwing out things like that are so hateful, like send them back. Um, we don't want them here. And it, it, it's like, you know, I was looking at the pictures of the people in the meeting in Brighton Park. 
the other day, and a lot of them in the crowd were East Asians or um, Spanish speaking. Um, you know, they're brown people and other people of color. And it was just like the venom that, you know, is been spewing out is just um, that's what's is concerning to me, you know, like someone, my, my mom was telling me that her um, landscaper who was of Mexican descent was complaining about, the, uh, complaining about the people coming in. And I'm just like, and then, you know, my mom is like, you know, my mom has like raised questions. She's like, it's like, what's happening? Can't they stop it? And I'm like, well, I told her, I was explaining to her that first of all, they're being sent from Texas. And this is like, you know, you can bring up questions about immigration, open borders, and like have sensible conversations. But these are human beings. They're in. They're in our back. You know, they've been in our backyard, and they're literally living in police stations. They're living like in tents, and you know, the plan is to put them in tents during the winter. They're not like staying at the Four Seasons. So when people are saying like, "Oh, you know, we're like looking out for them," and then it's just like. And, and it's like our politicians aren't helping, including our, you know, our national leaders. I mean, what is happening? Like, you know, I, I think our national leaders, like I, I, I do, I do have the same feelings that you have about our Chicago leaders. Like they just like look like deer in the headlights kind of attitude. Um, and I understand some of that because it's like we've had an influx, influx of people being sent in buses and everybody's kind of scrambling. And I think a lot of people do have good intentions in their hearts. But then at the same time, you're like, what is our national government doing? And that was um, one of the editorials I wrote about is about how St. Louis is proposing to take some of the migrants, because they've had like a shortage of a population. And they've done the same thing with, I believe, Iraqi refugees, they had a same sort of program where they tried to get people no from Afghanistan, that's what it was. And then they've also done a, something similar, but maybe a little different when the Bosnian um, refugees came here, um, following the war in the former Yugoslavia. And so it's like, you have a place like St. Louis, that is willing to take, you know, people of color and migrants. And we have a Chicago, you know, we have a city as diverse as Chicago, where all of a sudden, everybody doesn't want the migrants. And, and like, listen, I understand the concerns like people have, but it's just like, just like the delivery of some of the pushback, it's just been so ugly. And Natalie Moore, um, who writes columns for us in the editorial board, I mean, for our editorial pages, I should say, she wrote a piece on this just a few days ago. And she, um, my boss was saying she got a lot of pushback on, on, on the column that she wrote. And she wrote about the black community and its response to the migrants. And she kind of talked about like the same things that I mentioned where, you know, I'm not, I'm not black, but Natalie's black. And she talked about how she understands the concerns from the black community and how the black community has been neglected, but she kind of feels uncomfortable with some of the, you know, the statements that have been coming out from the black community. And it, it's just, it's, it's been uncomfortable as a person of color to watch this. And like I said, I think there's like good, you know, you could raise questions and concerns, but, you know, it sounds like the way people are talking about these migrants as if they're not even human beings. And obviously, we can, we're, I'm sure we're going to talk about this, too. And that's some of the, the way I feel the way our government and our media is treating um, 
you know, when we were talking about the war, about the situation in the Middle East, it's like, it's like some of the, the rhetoric is just, um, it's just like we, we've talked about this, you know, we've had this happen before in history so many times and time and times again, and especially people of color, they're like, this has happened to you. You know what I mean? And so you, you look at the crowd and, um, in Brighton park and, you know, we've seen this happen, um, with the attack on Alderman Julia Ramirez. And, you know, it's like there's people who are speaking Spanish and saying the slogans in Spanish. And it's just like, they're not even saying English, you know what I mean? And I'm like, you do do realize that there are some people who look at you and are probably thinking the same thing about you. And it's just like, it's like, let's try to figure out this together, like how we can find the most humane thing to do for this group of people. That's the way we should be thinking. And like I said, um, I think the city has made some fumbles in terms of like, you know, all of a sudden, you know, they bring these plans without, you know, talking to the community. I've done, we've done some stories on that. Those like those concerns are fine, but it's just the, the type of things that are being said in these meetings. And you just look at the expressions of um, some of the people in at these meetings and they just look like MAGA people, except they're not white. You know what I mean? And so it's it's been it's been it's been very you know the news has been so bleak these last few weeks and the migrant situation has just kind of made um things a lot bleaker in the city and i i do hope there's a solution and i don't think there's easy solutions but i i it's not like we're rolling out the red carpet for these migrants here you know and people are talking about like oh why are we giving them this and giving them that and you know, Vivek Ramaswamy, when he came here in May, he was like, you know, riling up some people in the black community. And I'm just like, and I was like, oh, my God. And, you know, he was talking about the benefits they're getting. And I'm like, what benefits? He's like, they're getting like baby food. And I'm like, oh, don't give them baby food. You know, it's like, what are you supposed to do when there's a child, you know? And it's like, people sleeping on the floors at a police station or at O'Hare Airport, those aren't like, the best case scenarios. And I, I, I do hope that we can find a way and um, a way for these um, individuals to get play, you know, get work and be able to live here in this country. It's just, you know, it's just a sad situation and people kind of forget that they were once or their, you know, ancestors were once migrants here too and looked down upon. And I, I just, it, for me, it's like I understand the concerns and some of the comments that are made, but not the really terrible comments where you're looking at these people like they're cockroaches and don't want them in your backyard. So it's been it's been disheartening for sure. All right. I'm going to throw something at you and get your response. Uh, I can you, I think, have a better understanding of Chicagoans than I do because you were born here. And this is where, you've, you know, you're just a Chicagoan and through and through. Whereas I'm, uh, you know, I moved here from other places. Uh, but one of the observations I've made about Chicagoans, something about this city that breeds hate. People come from all over the world. They come to Chicago and they're haters. They're very territorial. They're very tribal. I make fun of it. A lot of times when I talk about the dibs thing, but the, the fact that people in Chicago take serious this debate discussion, it's a very important thing in Chicago. 
if you dig out your little spot for your car in front of your house, do you have the right for it? This is a conversation that Chicagoans have. I don't know if anybody in the world can. Why don't you just like share your little spot? No, because it's Chicago and it's mine. And people come to Chicago from all over the world. And guess what? They become like everyone else in Chicago. They're filled with hate. They're filled with envy. They're filled with jealousy. They want more from themselves and less for someone else. And here's the weird thing, Romana, in my humble opinion, get your response. They don't care, most Chicagoans. And it doesn't matter. Race or ethnicity doesn't matter. You could be black. You could be white. You could be Hispanic. You could be Asian. It doesn't matter. You don't care, by and large, Chicagoans, if some rich guy gets something. But if a person who's poorer than you gets something, oh, that blows. Now you're showing up for a meeting. I didn't see one person in Brighton Park show up to one meeting about Amazon. And they were going to give billions of dollars. And by the way, Brighton Park, you were complaining about how do you get any notice about the thing? There was no notice on Amazon. Mayor Rahm freaking said, I'm not going to tell you what uh, I'm gonna, we're giving to Amazon because we have a non-disclosure agreement with Amazon. So shut up. And when we're done, we'll let you know how much you're giving. So my, that's my belief. Like in Chicago, it's okay if a rich guy gets a handout, but you don't want someone poorer than you get a handout because somehow or other they don't deserve it and you're not getting it. So that's my theory about Chicago. In your humble opinion, am I being unfair to Chicago? Um, I don't think they're any different than um, anyone else. But no, we are territorial about like who is a Chicagoan and who isn't. And so I should tell your listeners who already know I was born in Chicago. <laughs> I spent my first four years in Chicago, but then we moved to the suburbs. Okay. So a lot of people get touchy about that. The problem with me is that I am a Chicagoan and I've lived literally five minutes away from Chicago. I do have a problem for people who come here from other places and they they live in the most gentrified places. They like been here for like 10 years and they're like from like some, I don't know where <laughs> they're from, like some like podunk town. And it's like, they sit there and they talk, act like they own Chicago and they, they make me so mad. I'm like, you're not from Chicago, buddy. Okay. So that, that does make me mad. I am territorial about that. And it's like, when they like look at me and I say that I grew up in the suburbs, they like start lecturing me about Chicago. And I'm like, listen, I was, I, I know about Chicago, okay? I lived in Chicago and parts of Chicago before they're gentrified, so like, shut up, you know? So I, I do get annoyed by people who aren't from Chicago and they, they suddenly think they're like the boss of everything and they talk about everything Chicago and I'm like, that's not even Chicago and that's just like what you think Chicago is. So I do get a little touchy about <laughs> Chicago things, <laughs> but, but, but I, I don't think that, I do think there's some things that are very like the dibs thing is kind of stupid to me. And like I said, I grew up in the suburbs, so I wasn't like looking scrambling for parking. And right now I, I I'm in Rogers park and I have, we, I have my own parking. So I'm not, I've never been one to like be all like possessive about parking or anything like that. But you know, there are, there's definitely some things that are like, I think Chicago, like, you know, I didn't realize when I was younger. And then when I got older, I realized the politics is so racialized and you know i you know i i remember harold washington being elected um and i was really happy as as a, a person of color but i didn't even know like about all the pushback and the kind of the the discussions that were being had 
And I didn't know about the council wars because, you know, I was like a teenager when that happened or like really young. I wasn't paying attention. And it's like now that I'm older and look back and I'm like, oh, my God, you know what I mean? And so just some of the I just feel like some of the discussions and then, you know, I I do think um, one of the sad things in in the United States, uh, you know, people of color, like we're given so little resources and things like, you know, just in terms of like political power and, um, you know, access to things. And so there's like, it's like everybody's fighting over like these scraps and, um, you know, you have like, you know, the stereotype is the black community is always up against the Latino community. And then the Asian Americans feels like nobody's even talking about them at all. We're not part of the conversation. So it's like, it's just like there's so much infighting amongst the people of color themselves. And, you know, like for someone like me, who's not Latino or Latina, and it's like you think like, oh, you would think the Mexicans would be welcoming to the Venezuelans. And so there's like all these like divisions. Right. And so so it's like, oh, my God, we're fighting amongst themselves. We should be fighting against the man. <laughs> we should all be coming together and fighting against the man. And so it's it, it it works when these politicians do play up play up people of color against other people of color. It it just works out. And and I do think Chicago. Um, I don't know if it's any different, but there are things that those those dibs fights like are like I, I'm like I'm tired of hearing those stories. But I think all these news organizations love doing stories about dibs every single winter. And even I'm like tired of them. I'm like, that's like, I don't, <laughs> I don't care, man. It's like, why, why do we have to talk about this every summer? And I think it's because like, you know, so there's some things that, Hey, I, I disagree with as someone from Chicago and from the area. I'm like, God, I don't want to talk about this. Like how much do you want to like some people force certain things about Chicago and make it a Chicago thing. I don't drink, but people talk about Malort all the time. And I'm like, growing up, nobody talked about Malort. It's only like for the last two or three years. It's from these hipsters who came from these like small towns. You know what I mean? I'm like, nobody, I'm like, I, I'm like, I didn't even drink and nobody talked about Malort. It's like, you just make it into a Chicago thing. So I don't know, Ben, I, I think the racism is a very American thing. And so I think some of it has like rubbed off onto people of color. They're like, oh, you're you're from the outside. You don't belong here. And, you know, I always tell my mom that, you know, she's my mom is the immigrant and, you know, English. She, you know, she she doesn't speak, Eng, you know, she speaks, you know, English with a you know accent. And it's it's a, it's more of a broken English. But I told her, like, people like me, like we grew up as outsiders. My mom, like mostly hung out with her Indian friends. Like my dad went to work, but he didn't really want, had anything in common with the people at work. And so I told her, I'm like, I know what it's like to be an outsider. And I go, I think I'm more sympathetic to immigrants than you are. Because my mom was always like, oh, we came here. We worked so hard. And these new immigrants have it easy. And, you know, she always, you know, she always <laughs> talks about how they now she's not talking about the migrants, but she's talking about the Indian Indians, the new Indians and the Pakistanis and the Bangladeshis who come here. And she's like, oh, you know, we didn't have anything Indian. We didn't have a mosque. We had to do all that work. And now they come and they get everything handed to them. And like, you know, we did everything. We did all the work. And so even like amongst my friends who are immigrants, they're always like, our parents are always like talking about the newer immigrants aren't, aren't as hardworking. And, you know, it's, it's funny, the conversations. I told my mom, I'm like, I think because we were immersed, like all of us kids were immersed in American culture, like more than our parents were. 
And we were made to feel like outsiders for such a long time. I, I, I think like people like me who were children of immigrants, we're actually just very, I, I feel like I'm sympathetic, but but there's like immigrants who are not sympathetic of other immigrants. And it's, it's like a really interesting dynamic. And I just, I just hope that people learn to like open their hearts. You know what I mean? It's just like, I mean, there's a couple of shelters by us in Rogers park and there's a couple of tents that we've seen too. And I just don't think this is the way people should have to live. And I do think, you know, I, I do think it's a good point that you make that it isn't a crisis. We sh- Maybe we should shift the language and the way we talk about it should be different as well. And, you know, we still, I, I'm sure I called it a migrant crisis in one of my editorials that I wrote, but I, I do think you raise a good point that, you know, this can be a positive. And um, I hope, I hope the tide turns. I hope, I do think that, I do think that there are people in, um, politics. I do think there are some people that are really trying hard and it's a struggle when you have so many people who are pushing back. And I do hope that people in Washington open their eyes and realize that we have to help these people and we have to do it together. uh, Yeah. Before we move on, I don't even think it's a particularly challenging thing. I mean, I always say this, I'm just some guy talking in a microphone, but this city there's so many hustlers in the city building stuff. Yeah, yeah. Every time I turn around, someone's building something. And then when it comes to uh, housing for poor people, hey, I don't know what to do. It's so complicated. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm, you know, are you kidding? No, no, you're you right. Just, I, I read David Roder, your guy in the Sun-Times all the time. This developer's building that. That developer's building this. I'm like, okay, you're building skyscrapers. No problem. You have a press conference and all these glossy, oh, yeah, we're the city that does it, broad shoulders, you know, make no small plans. Okay, how about building some housing for some poor people? Oh, my God, no. How do you do that? Wait, it's, do you use a screwdriver or do you use a hammer? I'm so confused. Chicago, you you are pathetic, Chicago. That's me, not Ramana. You are pathetic. Okay. It's okay. You, you can say that we're pathetic on this issue because I think we are. But I think New York has also had some sort of issues too. Like I've, I've seen some of the commentary coming out of there and I'm like, oh, you know what I mean? I'm so gonna, it's That like, is, don't get mad at me. That is such a Chicago reaction. (laughs) Ben, what about New York? Well, I don't care about New York. I'm talking about Chicago. We're supposed to be be the cosmopolitan. Yeah. I mean, I guess New York, I mean, people from New York are going to say that we're like so Midwest. Maybe we are more Midwest than we think. I mean, if I were New York, I would have spent the last 40 years of my life studying New York. I'd know about New York and their weird ways. And I'd be the, the, the one guy going, you are weird, Eric Adams. That's the mayor of New York City, okay? I mean, I think his behavior on this issue is really weird. Um, exactly. And I'm, okay, I just had to bring it up because I was saying that's another big city that's, you know. But also- you know who's better than us? MAGA St. Louis. <laughs> better than Chicago. If you're going to start comparing to other cities, I read your editorial. <laughs> Speaking of St. Louis, I thought I never had been to St. Louis and a family friend of ours had dug up like his, their parents both passed away and then they had all these old pictures of us. And there's a picture of my parents with my older sister and me by the uh, little gate or whatever that is. So I have been to St. Louis. I thought I'd never been to St. Louis. All right. Uh, We spent so much time on there. Uh, We got to move on to the next story. It's sort of an update. Uh, And... um, uh, Ramana took a deep dive on Hassan Minaj. 
Uh, and um, I urge everybody to check out that uh, interview. Uh, and Jan Wenner, remember, it was a double. We did two men behaving badly. Uh, Jan Wenner, the former uh, publisher of Rolling Stone. Uh, so we're not going to talk about him in this, but if you want to hear that deep dive, you can go listen to it. Uh, Hassan and I, I think the man is uh, uh, very funny and very smart uh, and, um, you know, immensely talented. Uh, I, st- I still don't think, Romana, that of all the people who auditioned for Trevor Noah's spot, he was the best. I'm just saying, okay, Leslie Jones is mine, candidate for that position. But whatever, put it aside. He's really talented. Uh, but then, as you pointed out, you were the one who alerted me to this story. Um, he caught, he got caught in a little fabrication, uh, and he finally responded. Um, and my assignment was uh, to watch his response. And I have a confession to make because of my tooth. <laughs> When I was supposed to be watching and I was sleeping, I admit I didn't do my homework. So why don't you tell us uh, about the update and whether uh, you bought it and, you know, if you have a new attitude about him. Go ahead. Yeah. So first of all, I have to tell you that um, the South Asians have not canceled Hassan Minaj. And I don't think we ever did. We were just there was a lot of disappointment when we saw the New Yorker article. And now when I saw the video, I have a little skepticism of the New Yorker article. So he actually brings up the three three of the stories that the New Yorker um, reporter had pointed out. The first one was when he was rejected at prom by a woman who um, said that, you know, her parent, well, basically her parents said that they did, you know, they're going to take pictures and they don't want their family friends to see a picture of their daughter with a brown boy. And, um, and so he actually debunked that pretty well. And he actually, what happened to him was, it did happen that it happened in a different way that he said it. But the reporter, you know, he, he actually saved the recordings of the reporter. So I actually will give it to him for that story. I do think the reporter screwed him over on that one. Um, I think you should watch the video. But then there was, um, in in his latest stand-up special, he talks about how he got an envelope and he thought it was anthrax and it got on his daughter and he rushed her to the hospital. He said he did get an envelope, but his daughter didn't go to the hospital. So he embellished that. I I still don't, I'm not 100% with him on that one. And then he also talked about how this man who infiltrated his mosque as a, you know, he was an FBI informant. And he talks in the latest special about how this FBI informant came to his mosque and he had a run-in with this guy. Turns out he didn't have um, a run-in with this guy, but he said that there were informants at his mosque. But I thought he still, I'm like, you don't have to specifically call out this guy. Um, And I thought he brought up good points when he did his little apology video um, one of the things that a lot of people do, a lot of brown people do like about Hassan Minaj, and I sent you this um, article by this WB, young WBZ reporter named Hina Srivastava, and it's actually a good piece. because. And I have to tell you, listen, she was only 15 years old in 2017, and she kind of writes about the feelings like about South Asians. And I told her, hey, man, I was born in the 1970s. So for her to say, like, she t- she talked about how um, she was woken up by her friend and said, oh, my God, you got to watch this special by this guy named Hassan Minaj. He talks about our experiences like no other people do. And I thought 
Hassan, his name is Hassan. Um, Hassan really brought up some good points um, because he said he wanted to highlight a lot of things that a lot of people in America don't realize that realize what Muslim Americans experience or don't even think about it and, and experiences as a South Asian. And so um, I always talk about this, Ben, Um, a lot of South Asians that are presented or do make it to Hollywood, they try to, they try to whitewash their experiences or they make, they present themselves or present their shows more for a white audience than for a brown audience. And I think one of the things about Hasan Minaj is that he does kind of speak to the brown audience and his experience is of the Muslims, um, of the many Muslims. I just don't think that he had to lie about it. But I do think that the reporter for the prom experience, I am kind of annoyed with her about that. So now there's a lot of discussions about how white reporters, you know, pigeonhole or kind of like pinpoint, like, you know, they have all these expectations on these um people of color. And so like, I think the dialogue has been pushed back actually from Hassan Minaj. Um, there were some parts about it by me and my friends were talking about it, how we thought like, you know, cause he, he brings up the fact that he's bringing this up while there's like all this bloodshed happening overseas and there's more important issues. And we're like, yeah, of course there are, you know what I mean? But um, I, I do think, I do think that I'm, I'm still going to watch his stuff. I, I mean, I don't know what it means for him in terms of the Daily Show after this um, apology video came out. Um, and he did say that he goes, you know, I came off as a psychopath in the New Yorker piece. And I do I do think his um, I do think his uh, apology was a little heartfelt. Some of it was a little slick, but, um, you know, I, I have mixed feelings about it because I do I do I do like his stand up specials and I do think that he's really smart and I'm, I'm trying to keep an open mind. I just don't think that he had to, you know, use his daughter for saying that, you know, you took her to the hospital. He still could have made a compelling story. I think he still could have made a compelling story about being surveilled at Moss because that did happen to our communities. And I think he still could have done it. And maybe that's a reporter in me. I'm like, you don't, those are serious issues. They're not funny issues. And I know comic comedians take, um, you know, artistic license for a lot of things, but those are for like funny things, right? Like for things that are very trivial, but these are very serious. And, you know, I, I'm sure some younger people disagree with me, but I, I thought I'm like, you didn't have to say that you took your daughter to the hospital because, you know, that kind of made me think of things differently. You didn't have to say that you're surveilled by this like specific guy. Do I think that he should have apologized like this reporter suggested to him to the guy who was surveilling his mosque? No, I agree with him. I'm like, why do you have to do that? And so like his apology brought some like feelings back. Um, But I'm glad this young reporter, I told a young reporter from BZ, Hina, I shouldn't call her a young reporter because she has a name. Um, But I told her I'm glad she wrote about it because I had wanted to write about it. But then um, (laughs) when I wrote my last column, um, in September, um, I had just finished my column on Taylor Swift, the Taylor Swift and Beyonce beat. And then my friend sent me the New Yorker article. I'm like, oh my God, this would have been perfect. It just came out the same day that I actually was writing my column. And then the last column I did for October was on um, the Middle East. So I, I, I thought that Hina did a good job because it was perfect timing with um, Hassan Minaj's um, apology i think you should watch it and let me know what you think about it i don't know if you I, ever I, I don't know if you ever seen any of his stand-up specials or no no i saw the homecoming i saw the the i'm telling you i'm a fan of the guy and uh i thought he did a great job 
he's he's um he's he's how do I articulate this? He's got this really great delivery, you know, and he's so smart and it just comes out of him so effortlessly and it like kind of in awe of the guy, to be honest with you. Um so uh I too, when I read the article, was I, I was baffled as to why he felt compelled uh to gild the lily, if you will, you know what I mean, to overdo it. Because what he was saying didn't need it. It didn't need that embroidering. What he was saying was real and on target and uh you know, he didn't need to make stuff up. Uh, and I don't, I don't know if I thought he came off as a psycho uh, in The New Yorker. I think that's he's really sensitive about that because he probably got a lot of backlash. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm I, listen, I, I, I'm not much of a cancel guy anyway. OK, so, you know, I, I think of all the comedians who have been canceled and I don't want to tell you, I'm still watching them. I'm on a, don't get mad at me. OK, Uh I'm still watching Dave Chappelle. Oh, my my brother, my brother just saw Dave Chappelle live. He took his wife for her birthday. Well, one of our family friends who is Hasan Minaj's mentor, um, he's a like he's mix 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 old vet is his dad, this guy, our family friend. So he like Rami Yusuf and Hasan Minaj, this guy's kind of like their mentor, this guy that I grew up with. He's my really good friends with my brother. So he opened for Dave Chappelle. He's good friends with he he's known Chappelle for a long time. And my brother said he was actually uh, you know, he didn't think he was that controversial. My brother said that he was really funny. My brother loves Dave Chappelle. I I do too. Um I don't agree with everything he says, but they said that he was really funny. Um what about what about Louis CK? Louis CK? I um uh, I have not. I don't. I mean, I've I think I canceled him. I think I you, you canceled him. I um, I mean, his behavior was really weird. Yeah, there. that's a little. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I can't. I can't even say I still watch him because um, yeah, I don't follow him on Instagram. See, most just for whatever it's worth, uh, I do most of my following of comedians on Instagram, and that's where I and I, I actually send you. Then I realize you were following the same comedian, so I stopped sending you these guys. That one <laughs> no, guy and, and, and the great thing, the great thing, Ben, <laughs> is that you like these South Asian Muslim <laughs> comedians. That you're like all over them. <laughs> you're like, it's funny because someone you've turned me on to some of them, and I'm like, oh. And then I sent you the one about the guy who was raised by. Uh, a father who was Jewish and a mother who's Catholic. No, and they that both guy converted. is so funny. So oh he's my like God. a Jewish Muslim. Ahmad Ginsburg. Yeah. He goes, <laughs> and then you call the Ginsburg house. and Wein, it's, Weinberg or something like that. Why, what, a Jewish name and a, a, a Muslim, Muslim first, first name. name yeah. yeah. And it, I forget what it was. I just took two random a Ahmed, Jewish name. It's and Ahmed, name Ahmed Weinberg or something. Oh, God. That dude is so funny. Um, no, so I follow a lot of comedians on Instagram, uh, so I don't go to comic shows that much unless I'm going to see my daughter in L.A., but uh, I just, in her community that she has, so I know all these L.A. comedians, and so um, I, I don't follow Louis C.K., and Dave Chappelle, I don't know, is on Instagram, but um, they do Instagram constantly because they know what I like. You know how they do this, so they throw up Dave Chappelle bits. I'm constantly watching Dave Chappelle bits that I've seen 20 times, and I just they make me laugh. I do believe uh, I said this many times. We have many Dave Chappelle conversations on this show. I don't know if I had him with you, but with other people, um, and I think that the his he dug in on his fight against the trans uh, community, and I just think he overdid it. 
I think uh, that he got caught telling a stupid uh, dick joke. That's what it was. And then he just was too proud. Uh, and his ego was too much to say, you know what? I screwed up. And so he just dug in and dug harder. And all his little Dave Chappelle friends, fans, just, you know how they do it when fans do it. Uh, Romano, like, oh, you're right. They're wrong. You're right. They do. Can't one of you just say you're wrong once in your life? Is it going to kill you? Uh, you know? And so I think he lost it there. But come on. The guy is so freaking funny other than that, you know? Um, so, yeah, I'm with you. But uh, all right. So no ducking and dodging. Who do you think should get the nod to replace Trevor Noah? Go. I okay. Speaking of Trevor Noah, we're gonna see him next month. My me and my sisters. My older sister loves, loves, loves Trevor Noah. We're gonna go see him in Milwaukee, and then they canceled that show, so we got tickets in Chicago. Um, I think I think Hassan Minaj still has a chance. I I, I now it's like after that video, I'm like, uh, I'm like maybe he should get it. I think I I think he's kind of put in the work. It would be kind of cool, but I don't know if he's gonna get it. Um, I know you like Leslie Jones. I think she's 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 funny. Um, I, I love Trevor Noah. I mean, I wish it could still be him, but I don't know. I who's in the running? I don't know who's in the running. Hassan Minaj was one of the three people that was in the running. Like they said, there was three. It was down to three people, and then the New Yorker piece came out, and then they first said he was still in the running. I remember Rolling Stone had an exclusive said, "Oh, an executive was like, well, we're still considering him," and then a few days later, like we're not. So I don't know if this changes anything. And I don't know who the other two people are. I, I'm thinking it's got to be one of them has got to be a woman, right? I, I would think maybe it's Leslie Jones. I don't know. They had so many people do that that one week thing where, yeah. you know, they would fill in for a week. And so. Um, See, Leslie Jones is so different. Uh, see, uh, Minaj is a little like Trevor Noah in that. And John Stewart. Uh, yeah, and John Stewart, the originator. They're, those three are like you could see a connection be, uh, between, and and Leslie Jones is just not doesn't try to be smooth. I mean, all three of those guys could be anchormen. You know what I'm saying? They could. I mean, if Hasan Minhaj wanted to be a legitimate, quote unquote, legitimate in quotes, uh, journalist, you could see him doing the nightly news. You know, and I think the same as Trevor Noah, who's I mean, that guy is so brilliant with his just his command of language. Um, whereas Leslie Jones uh, is Leslie Jones, and she's just so real. And I just find her hilarious, and she's so vulnerable and unafraid to put herself out there. So I am rooting for her. Uh, plus, she's a big woman. So I am rooting for her 100%, and probably because I'm rooting for her, she won't get it. Uh, so I have no idea who uh, the three are. Oh, my God. All right. So I'm looking at the clock here, and uh, I have to make a decision. Um, so I'm going to uh, say uh, this is kind of a bummer conversation, to put it mildly. Um, the onslaught uh, in Gaza continues. Uh, and uh, I know <laughs> I'm. this is just a little podcast. Uh, boy, do I feel so helpless uh, Romana, we've done many shows on it. Uh, at the very least, can we have a ceasefire, please? I mean, just the slaughter. It's just, I understand. I didn't lose anybody uh, I, when Hamas attacked, so I, I don't have a personal stake in this in any way. Nobody in my family, thankfully, you know, was killed or 
taken hostage. But it's just, it, it's not going to do anything, in my humble opinion. It's all it's going to do is create more hate and more violence. And it's, I mean, I read a lot of uh, the left in Israel and their journalism about Netanyahu is far more critical than you're going to find uh, in Chicago. OK, yeah. In, and, uh, and, that, and that's what is so perplexing to people like me. I just don't you know, it's like our press is like will, less willing to criticize Israel than actual Israeli press. Well, the, I saw. See, OK, so I don't watch Fox I saw, where was it? I can't remember. I got Instagram. Someone dropped a clip of a Fox commentary. I'm not making this up. Romana, it was unbelievable. It was treating the, it was treating the war as though it were a sporting event. And they were talking about like, who's on Israel's side and who is supporting Israel. And it was like, even the way they handled the graphics was like watching somebody break down a draft, uh, like the NBA's draft. Uh, so it's so not real in this country. Uh, you get what I'm saying? It's, it, it's just not real. It's just a caricature of, uh, and, uh, you know, you mentioned to me, you sent me the nation article, which I'd already seen, that said that uh, it'll probably cost uh, Biden uh, the election because young people uh, will just not vote for him. Uh, and I had already read that uh, column. And th- at the same time, I told you this, Joe Rogan, who the podcaster, who pretends like he's not for Trump, but <laughs> come on, Joe. Why? What? what? You MAGA people who pretend they're not MAGA are really weird, okay? Like, just be MAGA. You're a MAGA guy. Uh, he was gleeful. He was like, Trump is now a shoo-in because of this war. Trump is a shoo-in. And I get uh, the Republican. You, I've never sent them to you because I think it would be too painful. But, like, you got the Republican propaganda about the war attacking Biden for um, being a terrorist supporter. Okay, I mean, it it's so extreme. Biden gave money to Iran and Iran gave money to Hamas. And that's what funded the attack on Israel. Biden is supporting Iran. He's a terrorist. And uh, and then I get that like all the time. So it's freaking madness. And the outcome could be, as you pointed out, as the nation pointed out, as Joe Rogan is gleefully pounding his chest. Donald Trump gets elected president again. Your thoughts? Yeah, and that's interesting because the people who are terrorists like me think opposite of Biden. They don't think they don't think he's saying enough. And the thing is, I don't think anybody, you know, that has any sort of humane feeling inside thinks what Hamas did was correct, you know? But it's like sorry the Palestinians are being dehumanized by the way we talk about them in the press and the way our president's talking about them in the press. And I have to tell you, I do, I do know people. Um, I know a reporter whose friend is stuck in Gaza right now. Um, she went to go visit her um, in-laws. So there are American Palestinians who are overseas and the way Joe Biden's talking about it as if there's no Americans in Gaza. And today um, they turned off the um, internet connection. There's like, it's basically blacked out in Gaza. 
And yeah, and I just feel the same way, like a ceasefire, like how many people does it take to avenge what happened on October 7th? And Joe Biden is saying that he does not trust the numbers that are coming from the Palestinians in terms of the civilian deaths. And and that's kind of like saying, like, well, what do you want? Like, you don't. Okay, so they are saying about seven thousand um, people have died in Gaza since um, Israel had started its retaliation. So, are you saying that you're waiting until the numbers go up a little higher, or that the numbers are okay for you? And so, um, yeah, I mean, even the Onion is doing a better job. <laughs> I think a lot of people feel, um, you know, the way our media talks about. Um, Israel. And the thing is, the discussions are changing. Like, and I think, I mean, I'm sorry, Ben, but a lot of the boomer supporters of Israel, they cannot believe that there are young Jewish people or young Israeli people who are critical of Israel. And it's, it's like, if you talk to anybody, um, a person of any person of color, they feel like, they feel like the the discussion is is completely like they're being not they're not being heard. And that's why I thought that Nation article is really interesting, because I know a lot of younger people watching this, younger people of color, Muslims um, in general, they're they're already saying, I don't want to vote for Biden because he's not listening to us, you know, because Biden said, I hear you. And a lot of people are like, that's all you're saying to us. Like, I hear you. And then you're just kind of, you know, you know, green lighting what's happening in Gaza. And so a lot of people, there's a lot of dissent. And I, I, I don't think people, I think a lot of boomers want to pretend it's not happening and it is. And, um, and, and people are, are just, the people already thought Joe Biden was old. And that's why I thought this nation article is really interesting because I don't think people realize that there are these discussions happening already about Joe Biden. And I was also, I saw a tweet that someone said that the Democrats think that, you know, the Muslims and Arabs are going to be over it within a year. And it's just like, no, they're not. I, you know what I mean? I think this is, I think what's happening in the Middle East right now is, has gotten a lot of people upset. And I know there's a lot of people who are pro-Israel are very upset too. Um, It's just gotten, emotions are very high right now on both sides. I'm sure you saw the, um, the articles about the demonstrations in 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 my uh in my my hood Skokie Lincolnwood border and uh and it was like there was gunfire and and the pepper spray and we're like this is like and this is like the the you know it's just like the 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 antagonism is just out there and I've had discussions in our newsroom and I'm emotionally exhausted from talking about the way we frame certain things and and I'm I'm still getting it. I'm still having discuss side discussions about this. And um it's it's something that I do hope I do hope there's a ceasefire sooner than later. Um I know people are mad at Bernie Sanders. I have to tell you like all these lefties are mad at Bernie Sa- Sanders because he said there should be a humanitarian pause. And they're like, would it kill you just to say ceasefire? So I know some people told me they're disappointed by Bernie, Bernie's comments too. Yeah, and I saw Bernie's speech recalled. For, uh, he did might, call for I, ceasefire. He yeah. had a tweet. He had a tweet that said humanitarian pause, okay. and everybody's like, "Why don't you just say ceasefire?" Dude. Everybody, get off of Twitter, okay? Can I just say, uh, <laughs> well, you know just okay, now get off of Twitter? I told my boss the reason I'm on it is because I do follow a lot of people 
who um comments I like. I'm still on it, but I think once he starts charging us, I might have to like jump off. Oh, please site. leave. Go just go to Instagram fully. Yeah, okay? I might. I'm, yeah, I, yeah. I, I'm on Instagram. I'm on LinkedIn. I put I post my articles on LinkedIn now, yeah. and I never thought the day would come where I'm like using LinkedIn more instead of Twitter. So I'm trying to use that. So yeah, this is it's a very sad situation, Ben. Um, well, I, I'm. I, I I do hope there's a ceasefire soon. I, I pray for it. Uh, it's the first step and to stop the bombing and let's just try going in a different direction. Um, and I know it sounds so naive and I'm overwhelmed because like the whole world, <laughs> no one's listening to me, but yeah, nobody's, like, nobody's listening to me either. So yeah, it out there. I will say this, uh, in defense of old people on this position, position, because my boomers just took a withering attack from a Gen Xer. Um, if you want to hear an older person speak with great command and intelligence, and um, well, I'm just a, this is one of my favorite human beings I'm about to promote. I've said this before. Go dig up the YouTube debate between Alan Dershowitz and Noam Chomsky. Noam Chomsky, ladies and gentlemen, who's in his 90s. He's beyond boomer. And he got Dershowitz all twisted and tied up. And then Dershowitz got mad at him, you know, because sometimes when I've seen Noam Chomsky do this so many times when he's debating someone and they get so flustered, like William Buckley, and they always threaten to like hit him or something. I'm going, you can't. He's so smart. You're so helpless you end up throwing away being a person of ideas and you're like, oh, I should punch you. And like Dershowitz comes very close to that too, in his own weird way. So I just urge everybody to just go listen to Noam Chomsky in this before you throw all boomers out. No, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not throwing, I, I guess I'm throwing, okay. Not the lefties. There are other. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I have to say, Ben also Gen Xers, Gen Xers from my generation, um, who are pro-Israel, they're the same way as the boomers because I went oh, really? to high school with some Gen Xers and I'm looking at the stuff they post and I'm like, mm, mm, I have yeah. to show you something. I'm going to show you something after we get yeah, off. And I'm like, uh, I, part, part of me wants to say something, but I'm like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to start it. I don't want to start it. But anyway, um, Gen Xers are kind of like boomers sometimes, except the lefties. Yeah. Uh, Gen Xers are kind of like boomers, just a little younger and as a little grumpy. They, they, they can suck. They can suck too. I, I, I admit it. I'm a, I'm a Gen Xer, and there's a lot of Gen Xers that disappoint me. So, yeah. um, all right, very good. We're not going to get into the Scorsese movie because we've run out of time. Neither of us has seen it. We're going to talk about it. So we have a homework assignment. Uh, we're going to watch uh, the. Um, God, I always forget the name. The, the Killer, Killers of the Flower Moon. Yeah, I always want to say the right. Killers of the Flower Moon. I I read uh, the I book. I I don't. Ben and I were talking about this right before we jumped on, and I usually don't read nonfiction, but I read that, and I read my uh, friend Amy's book. Um, I should I, I should kind of pull, give that a plug too. Um, I have a friend who wrote about Tibetan refugees in India, and I'm going to be uh, in a few weeks. I'm going to be giving um, uh, a, a, like a talk about her book. And I think let me let me give you guys let me give you guys um, the name of the book. I think it's on top of from the rooftop of the world, and it just it just got published. It's about Tibetan refugees living in India, and she lived among them um, in 
I want to say 2008, 2009, around that time for um, a couple months on and off. And so I read two nonfiction books in a row. And Ben and I were both just talking about how we're not nonfiction people. But I happened, those are the two books that I read within the last three weeks. And Killers of the Flower Moon is great. It's written by a journalist. And I'm sure the movie might be a little different because I read some reviews about the movie. And it's just it just it's just a little bit about what we always talk about, Ben. There's I never heard about these murders. And, you know, there's so much of our history that we don't talk about as, you know, that's not taught in our schools. And, you know, this just was a sad time. And uh it it's it's about race relations too, really, if you think about it. Um and so I, I do I am looking forward to the movie. I heard it's been critiqued by some, a lot of Native Americans as well, but I am looking forward to, I do like Scorsese and uh, I hope Ben and I watch it around the same time so we can talk about it. Well, so we'll hopefully, a, we'll, hopefully within two weeks, I will watch it. I do hope okay. to watch it soon. That, that's her assignment. I know I'll be, wa- where I'll be watching it. Uh, my favorite movie theater uh, at the moment for the sound anyway, uh, in Skokie. Uh, so, um, all right, Robata, thank you very much. And uh, I'll see you in a couple of weeks. All right. Yeah. Thank you. And good luck with your tooth. Oh my God! And your God. Shot. You know, yeah, I I will not show you the vacant uh, spot in my mouth where the tooth was, because uh, that's too gross. But uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I I will survive. I can't complain. All right, that's Ramana Hussein. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. Bye.